the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Jordan Peterson. Who would have thought that a, a that common sense would come from a university professor from Canada? But he is probably the, the biggest sensation out there now, with especially with the youth and young males, because he is speaking common sense and he's speaking it peacefully and uh, he's talking about God. And he's got a best-selling book out, number one bestseller, uh, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. Welcome to the program, Dr. Jordan Peterson. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I know. A university press probably comes here. Uh, we're, you're breaking up. We had this problem last time. I don't know where you were staying, standing last time, but can you stand there because you're breaking up and we can't understand you? Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Okay, good. Oh, yes. I said, well, a Canadian and a university professor, the end times must be near. <laughs> yes, it is the clippity-clop of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, we, I want to talk to you about a few things. We hear, and I, know, I don't want to you know, get you into politics, just common sense. Um, I don't know if you've been following, uh, for instance, the CNN town hall this week and this debate that we're having um, but we have 16-year-olds that uh, are demanding that America pretty much disregards the Second Amendment. And the, we're not having sensible arguments at all. There's, there's, there's no reason um, in, 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 in the debates that we're having. We're not listening to each other. Do you have any thoughts well, on I this? Think that can be, well, I think that that can be, that's true on a much wider scale than than merely the debate that's going on about what happened after Parkland. We're not listening to each other at all. We're polarized to a great degree. So how do, how do we solve this? Well, you know, I've been recommending, first of all, I would say that in, in my book, in 12 Rules for Life, in Rule 6, I outlined why such things as the Parkland school shooting occur. And it has very little to do specifically with guns. There's something much deeper and more horrible going on that, that 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 is rather dreadful to look at. I mean, people who are motivated to do the sorts of things that happen at Parkland are are they're possessed by a kind of ill will, an evil ill will whose magnitude is difficult to describe. And it's a problem of disorientation and meaninglessness, and it's expressing itself in gun violence, but it can express itself in all sorts of ways. And, and the problem the deeper problem has to be solved as far as I'm concerned. And that's the problem of, of nihilism in the face of the tragedy of life. And it's that kind of destructive nihilism that drives the actions of people like the school, school shooters. So it's very difficult for us to have an intelligent conversation about that because nobody wants to look at the darkness enough to, to actually understand what motivates people like, like the shooters. And it's not surprising, you know, but we, we, and what if, happens then, of course, is that the discussion gets politicized and it, it goes down the same rails that it's always gone down. Yeah. Democrats say their thing and the, and, the, and the Republicans say their thing. And it never really ends up, the discussion never really ends up being about the school shootings, for example. So, Well, I, you know, I've, I've been saying um, all week, you know, I started um, uh, the, the week with a monologue on, you know, nobody even wants to talk about 
seven out of the nine shooters that were under uh, 30 uh, came from fatherless homes. Um, right. I mean, we have a breakdown. Yeah, well, there's, well, there's definitely something there, I, I would say, because these these men, these young men, they they lack purpose and direction. And that's really not a good thing because life is very difficult. It, as, as the religious sages have always had it, life is suffering. And you need to set something positive against that suffering or it corrupts you. And when it corrupts you, you become vengeful and vindictive and murderous and genocidal. Like that, those are the stages. And that the school shooters are two-thirds of the way to genocidal by the time they, they perform their actions. Well, how do we... It's because they, they turn against life because life is so difficult and they have nothing to set, nothing positive to set against it. It's a real catastrophe. And the fact that we're idiot, we're we're transforming ourselves into ideologues, both on the right and the left, is a reflection of the same problem: is that because people lack genuine, engaged meaning in their own personal lives, in large part because they don't understand how necessary it is to take responsibility, they turn to pseudo solutions. And an an ideology, right or left, is a pseudo solution to the problem of meaning in life. And it's very dangerous. So we saw that in the 20th century, as, as you pointed out just before our talk. How do we find how do we find meaning um, as a group when I mean, with, especially with young men, there is a concerted effort, at least it seems, to eviscerate men. the The new catchphrase is toxic masculinity. Yeah. Oh, I know. Twelve rules for life, which is rule eleven. Father, children, when you know, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek title, but it's a very, very serious chapter, and it's about the the confusion between masculine confidence and masculine security. You know, the, the problem is. Uh, we're, you know what? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to take a you're gonna have to take a break and see if we can get you to a, a better space so we can hear you. You're you're breaking up again, um, so <laughs> we're gonna send you a hardwired phone. That's what we have to do. Uh, so so uh, let's pick the conversation up um, uh, where we were, where we left it off, um, and that's toxic masculinity and and. How do we find meaning? How do how do young men find meaning in their life when society is is tearing them down and saying, you know, you're you're bad, you're worthless, you're not needed? Yeah, well, it's part of an all-out assault, as far as I can tell, in some sense, mostly from the radical left on the idea of competence itself, and there's a confusion between tyranny and power and competence. You know, in, in our society, which is a pretty free society, so let's say Western societies, most of our hierarchies are mostly predicated on competence, which means that if you can do the job, you tend to rise in the organization. Now, that's contaminated a little bit with tyranny and power, of course, because no, no organization is perfect. And what we have is a claim, essentially, from the radical left that male competence is indistinguishable from male tyranny and power and so that it should be all torn down not only the hierarchies but the but the spirit that generated the hierarchies and that's fundamentally the masculine spirit even symbolically and psychologically speaking so what we see is an all-out assault on the masculine spirit and that was actually 
That was actually formalized by Jacques Derrida. He called Western culture phallogocentric, phallo from phallus and logo from logos. So it was male-dominated and driven by logos. And, of course, that's the Christian word and also the root idea behind the, behind the word logic. And so it is part of an all-out intellectual and an all-out war of ideas. And the people who are bearing the brunt of that at the moment are, I would say, young men. Yeah, it's really not good. So what is so what is the the end goal? Is it I mean, is it as clear as it seems to be that it is the end goal uh, and the 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 motivation is just to destroy the the West? Can you can you find any logic in there that is that is well, if you more buy than the that? Idea, look, if you buy the idea that the West is a corrupt patriarchy. And then that's the logical that's the logical end goal. I mean, the, the more radical disciplines at the universities, this women's studies and, and, and those sorts of disciplines, have said for decades that their goal was the destruction of the patriarchy. It's like it's very often, you know, that people tell you what they're doing. You just have to listen to them. I mean, if you read the school shooters' documents, like the kids from Columbine High School, they told you exactly why they did what they, what they did. If you go onto the websites and read... Um, the curricula and the dictates of women's studies uh, uh, disciplines at universities, they tell you exactly what they're doing. If the West is a corrupt patriarchy, then the right thing to do is to tear it down. So it's not, it's not a surprise, and it's not a conspiracy theory. It's, it's just precisely what, what's, that's the doctrine, that's the dogma. And the university, especially the humanities departments, are overwhelmingly... Uh, left and radical left that's been well documented by people like Jonathan Haidt with his heterodox academy Jonathan is an extraordinarily reasonable person he's no one's idea of a radical yeah I I I, I greatly respect him who is uh, uh, Jordan who are the people that we should be reading besides you and your book who are the people that inspire you or it can inspire men to be to be men. Well, you could, I, think, I think that Steven Pinker is, is doing a fine job. He has a new book out now. Um, it's in the top ten. So Pinker's a good person to read because Pinker's making a very powerful pro-enlightenment, pro-reason, pro-science, pro-progress case, well-documented empirically. I mean, the empirical evidence is pretty clear, although there is some evidence that inequality is increasing. First of all, no one knows what to do about that, right or left. There's a new book by Walter Scheidel called The Great Leveling, which I would also much recommend it because, much, because he analyzes the problem of inequality with dead seriousness and, and traces it back ten, thousands of years and points out quite clearly that it's a problem, but that it can't be laid at the feet of capitalism. That's just foolish. It's a way deeper problem than that. And... But despite the fact that there's increasing inequality to some degree in the West, overall the entire world is getting richer, and, and there are fewer poor people. There are way fewer people in absolute poverty than there were 15 years ago, far fewer. And so what's happening is our economic system is generating a lot of surplus, and it's being quite effectively distributed even to the lowest end of the socioeconomic spectrum, but inequality still remains a problem. And you know, that drives a fair bit of theorizing on the left. But I would, I would very much recommend Scheidel's book, uh, The Great Leveling. It's, it's very bright. And, and then there's, there's Pinker. And then, you know, I'm very much a fan of, of 
of great classic literature. I'm a great admirer of Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky's novels in particular are unbelievably profound explorations of the role of human responsibility in the face of the tragedy and malevolence of existence. So and I have a reading list at jordanbpeterson.com that has about 40 books on it that I've recommended that some of them are psychological in nature and others are literary, some are philosophical. Would you define what a good man is? Yes, yes. So I was thinking about an image related to that. So there's a cathedral in Montreal called St. Joseph's Oratorio, and it's built on a hill. It's a very large cathedral, so it overlooks the hill. It's a beautiful building. And then there are many, many steps leading up to it, hundreds of steps, and pilgrims come there to to trudge up the steps one at a time towards the cathedral. And there's something deeply symbolic about that. The, the idea that's being expressed is, is, is profound and, and necessary, and that is that we all need a vision of the way that, that life and the world could be. We want to have a vision that, that that could be as good as it could be, the least amount of suffering and the most for everyone and the most freedom for everyone and the best for everyone. And, the question is, how do you approach an idea like that? And the answer to that is by carrying your burden one step at a time up the hill. And that's what you do in life. You're not a victim. Or if you are, you carry it. You know, and you take responsibility for it. And you're someone other people can rely on. And you tell the truth. And that way you make the world a little better instead of worse. And that's the alternative to ideological possession and collective action and, and, and group hatred and tribalism and all those things that tear us apart, is to accept that your life is tragic and that you'll suffer and that there's evil in the world and that it's your, it's your responsibility to take that onto yourself and to carry it forward towards the good. That's meaning in life. And that's the antidote to chaos and to catastrophe. And, and the West knows this. This is, why, this is why we're an individualist culture, because we know that the individual has to be set above the group. But it's not the individual in all his rights. It's the, indi- it's the individual in all his responsibility. Mm. And that's the part of, of the dialogue that's missing from our culture currently. And, I believe that's why my book has become so popular, and the lectures as well, because, because I'm telling people, suggesting to people, and particularly, but not only, to young men, that they need to accept as much responsibility as they can tolerate, and then build themselves into people who can tolerate even more responsibility. And to, and to, be, and to, to accept that gratefully, because that's where the purpose and meaning in life is. Jordan, I, I have, I have, um, I've gone from a man, you know, for, for a while I, I rejected that I have, I had changed a great deal um, in the last couple of years, but I, I have, and I've gone from a guy um, that was very popular because I was certain of things to a guy who now really appreciates doubt uh, and is. And and I I kind of view certitude as a uh, as a as a dangerous thing uh, because if I'm certain of what I believe, then I don't necessarily believe you know anybody else has me has anything to teach me or right. uh, and and yet 
I find I think this is the message of Christ is is humility, um, and and yet well, the people humility get, is that like if things aren't everything they should be for you and around you, then clearly you don't know enough. Correct, but right? we and so then you better be looking for what you don't know, and that's the opposite of certainty. We 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 are in a situation now that. Um, uh, we it, it almost feels like we don't trust that the truth will eventually win, that God is uh, on the side of truth. And so we have to engage in this warfare, and, and we're engaging online, we're engaging in tribalism, uh, and, and the, 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 the answer seems to be in the opposite direction of... Yeah, well, we're trying to transform the political system into a tribal battlefield. That's what identity politics is. And that can be accepted on the right as well. The identitarians accept identity politics. They just want to play it differently. It's division into tribes, and it's a catastrophe. Division into tribes means that we'll fight. It's always been that way. Human tribes have always fought, and, and terribly. You know, there's an old idea that the hunter-gatherer types, that the, the, the pre the pre-materialist, pre-capitalist hunter-gatherer types were peaceful. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Yeah. They have incredibly high male-on-male homicide rates. Tribal people are unbelievably murderous, and we're all tribal, except when we decide not to be. And to decide not to be tribal is to decide to be an individual, but that means to take all the weight of things onto your own shoulders. And who wants that? Right? It's, a, it's a terrible responsibility, but the, the the paradoxical truth of the matter is, is that the more you take on that terrible responsibility, the deeper your life becomes, but the, and that justifies the suffering. But the more you take on, the bigger target. I, I, I want to read. I want to read this to you. This is a um, uh, an article out of the Mercury News in California. Uh, these men, particular Elon Musk, are not only heavily invested <clears throat> in who can get their uh, rocket into space first, but into colonizing Mars. The desire to colonize, to have unquestioned, unchallenged, and automatic access to to something, to any type of body, and use it as will, is a patriarchal one. Um, it is the same instinctual and cultural force that teaches men that everything and everyone in their line of vision is theirs for the taking. They're <laughs> they're they're destroying yep. a guy like Elon Musk, who's like, look, I. I believe these things, and I think we can be better than this, and this gives right. me hope. Let's go here. Right, absolutely. And, and there, see, that's a, that's a great, that's, that's, your, your, your reference hits the nail on the head. You see there the confusion between male confidence and desire to, to move forward in the world and tyranny. Those aren't the same thing. No, they're not the same thing at all. And Musk is no tyrant. And if you can't see that he's a hero, then there's something wrong with your vision. And, you know, in, symbolically, the author of that article is equating Mars with the unspoiled virgin, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Musk with the rapist. It, it's an appalling vision of masculinity. There's no excuse for it. it, Wait. it there's Wait. no excuse for it. it it's all, there's nothing in that except destruction. When do we? When, good, good men do things for themselves and, and for everyone else at the same time. That's the right balance. When do we you want to do something that's good for you and good for your family and good for the community and good for the surrounding world all at the same time? And 
you can do that, and that takes confidence and clear vision and truth. And those aren't, that's not tyranny. And those people, the people who wrote the article that you described, they're the people who think that emasculated weak men will be good because they're harmless. And emasculated weak men will be the Parkland shooters. That's the truth of the matter. When do we begin to uh, see this for what it is? Let me ask you this question. Are we closer to the end of this kind of thinking and movement, or are we closer to the end of the beginning of it? I don't know. No, there's been this funny idea that's been circulating on the Internet about the, the kingdom of Kekistan, where everything's in chaos. And we're in chaos at the moment. Things could go very well, but they could go very badly. And, and I think we're in a situation now where the decisions that each person makes at each moment are of, of, of crucial import in a way that's not always true. We're going to decide which, of, which way we're going to go in the next three or four years. And there's lots of positive signs. All the economic growth, for example, that I referred to, the, the fact that poverty is being pushed back and there's about 300,000 people a day now being hooked to the power grid. And I think there are a lot of really good things happening. But there is this terrible polarization and this demand to return to a destructive tribalism and this ideological attempt led mostly by the universities to my utter shame to demolish the patriarchy. It's very, very dangerous. And corporations are playing that game too. They're letting the fifth column, diversity, equity, and inclusivity types in through the HR back door, failing to see that generating an anti-capitalist fifth column within the confines of your own organization is self-destructive in the extreme. How do you, how do you, um, I, I've watched interviews with you in mainstream media and they always come with a, uh, with an intent, with an agenda. It seems you approach these interviews without an agenda and you're just trying to explain what you believe based on their questions. Um, and you always seem to win because you don't seem to have an agenda. Truth doesn't have an agenda. Um, it, it, would you well, say I have that an agenda, which is to not say something stupid? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Um, it, it, do you believe the mainstream media has crossed the line from bias to activism? And if so, what does that well, mean well, I think for one the of media? The might, well, I think one of the things that might be happening is that we're in a transition period from the mainstream media, print and television, let's say, most particularly to online forms of yeah. discussion, and that's happening very rapidly. And, and so it's killing the mainstream media. And as they spiral towards their death, they become more polarized to draw attention to their remaining resources. And so they're driving polarization in the broader society in an attempt to stave off their extinction rather than adapting to the new media. That's what, I, I'm not sure that's true, but that's what it looks like. It looks like it might be happening to me. Because we are in the midst of a technological revolution in communication. Yes. I mean, YouTube alone now has something in the neighborhood of 2 billion people using it. Yeah. So it's, and, and YouTube allows the possibility of the spoken word to have the same distribution as the written word, which is something unparalleled in, in human history. So I, I think that part of what's happening is a secondary consequence of a technological revolution. I don't think that the mainstream media's desperate attempts to use clickbait, let's say, to attract additional viewership, to 
to exaggerate, for example, the danger of violent crime and to pit the right against the left in a manner that's more uh, combative than the reality would, would indicate. I don't think that that will stave off their demise. I think it will accelerate it. But there could be a lot of collateral damage while that's occurring. Jordan Peterson um, from jordanpeterson.com, uh, also uh, the uh, book 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. Did you ever, you have, you have like, uh, you're approaching a million YouTube subscribers, a number one New York Times bestseller. Did you ever see this? I don't think I'm on the New York Times. They didn't list me. Shut up. No, it's, it's Amazon. You're, well, you're number one. I, uh, yes, I'm that's number one everywhere, but on the New York Times bestseller Unbelievable. List. Unbelievable. It is rather remarkable. Yeah. Um, Jordan, did you, ever, did you ever see anything like this coming your way? Well, I knew when I wrote my first book, this book, Maps of Meaning, I was discussing archetypal ideas and their relationship to ideological dispute. And I knew that was important. And, and I knew that my students in the course I taught on that book were very, very receptive to the course. I mean, most of the student comments I got, both at Harvard and at the University of Toronto, was that that was one of the few courses that completely changed students' lives. And, and it's not surprising to me to some degree, because of the ideas themselves, ancient archetypal religious ideas are abs- of absolute necessity. People can't live without them. And so I knew that I was talking about things that, that have always been of crucial importance to people, but there was no way of foreseeing the magnitude of, of the effect of that. I mean, it's, I'm still in complete shock about right. it on a moment-to-moment basis. Well, we, uh, it seems to be getting larger rather than smaller. Oh, yeah. You, you have a lot of uh, runway yet ahead of you. I, I pray for you, and I... I uh... I know what it's like to have great success come quickly, and uh, and if there was anyone who could navigate those waters, I believe it it, it is you, and we well, wish you all the best. Thank you, thank you. Well, like I said, I hope I can manage this without making any catastrophic mistakes, and so so far so good. Yeah. Knock on wood and all that. So. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much, Jordan 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 Peterson. You can get Jordan on Twitter at Jordan B. Peterson. JordanBPeterson.com is where, by the way, that uh, reading list he mentioned earlier in the interview, uh, you can find that there. And I would say probably at the top of that reading list would be 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos by Jordan Peterson. You know, it's amazing. I don't think I've ever interviewed a more careful man. Yeah. One of his rules is speak with preciseness. Yeah. Uh, And um, you can hear it. He speaks slowly. Um, to not make any errors. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.